This podcast is a production of Bread on the Water Media and RadioForThePeople.com and is engineered by Audio Diner Studios. Our theme music is provided to us by our dear friend Gordon Bonham, whose music can be purchased through GordonBonham.com. Our graphics for this podcast are provided by Kathy Piercy Frine. The podcast is sponsored by Artisan Realtors and Silicon Prairie Ventures. This podcast is intended to give people a glimpse at what it's like to get a bad diagnosis, whether it's cancer or something else, and then go through a traumatic experience. First, we will discuss how my cancer story affected me and my family. Then we will talk about how their experiences affect other patients and their families, including discussions around why you need to advocate for yourself or for your family member. As we explore other patients' experiences, we will talk to some professionals about how to move forward after a traumatic, or not, medical event. I expect this to be a discussion that changes over time to reflect these combined experiences that I and others have had, and what our journeys are like, and the inevitable twists and turns that go along with real-world experiences. Join us on this ride as we attempt to show joy and laughter as well as the tragedy. Welcome back to Normal, What's That Like? We're going to continue in this episode with our discussion with our host, Dan Adams, and his story of a cancer diagnosis. Oh, good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to episode five of Normal, What's That Like? Uh, before we get started with today's episode, I need to thank a couple of people. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Kat Fryan, who is our um, who developed the artwork that we use on the podcast and also now on a website that I've developed. Um, and so thanks, Kat. And the other person we want to thank is Gordon Bonham, who provides the intro and exit music for the podcast. So thank you guys for uh, participating and, and being there for us. Uh, today we're going to do something uh, a little uh, unique in that we're going to we have there are th I have three guests. It's my three daughters are here today, and we're going to talk about how the experience that I had and Georgianne has had that you've heard about how it differed from what they their experiences it was. So first of all, I guess ask them to introduce themselves. Uh, we'll just go ahead in birth order. So um, I'm Jessica Adams, and I actually work uh, at the hospital that dad wound up in. Um, so that was a unique perspective for me. I don't know um, if there's anything else we're supposed to be introducing about ourselves, but I'll go ahead and let Abby go. Uh, I'm Abby. I am the second uh, born, obviously, right in the middle. Um, I uh, live in Bloomington, uh, which I think is a little bit of a mind unique perspective. So when this all happened, I, I kind of moved up to Indianapolis and um, my husband and I got to figure that all, all that fun stuff out with distance, but uh, wasn't necessarily new to us. And the other thing about Abby, I'll just throw this in, is we've talked about the ERC CP oh, yeah. procedure, and Abby works for Cook Medical, who who manufactures minimally invasive medical devices. <laughs> I talked to the IR, right? We, yeah. So anyway, sorry. 
Hey, I'm Maggie, and I have a bit of a cold, so I sound a little nasally today. I'll just call that out. Um, and I am the youngest, the baby of the family. And uh, I guess uh, the only thing about me is that I um, had been living in North Carolina um, up until uh, less than a year before Dad got sick. So I just moved back to Indianapolis right before he got sick. All right, well, we're just going to start, and, and there's no order. You guys are going to get to jump in wherever you feel it appropriate. But, you know, the whole thing is normal. What's that like? So um, we're going to try to do this in some kind of a time order. So when I was sick and we didn't know what was going on, obviously that was different from when I got in the hospital. So if there's any anything you want to address during that period, fine, or we can go straight to the hospital because I think early on it really was more, we didn't know what was going on. And so anyway, but jump in. Yeah, I was going to say the only thing is that I guess I would set a precedent that um, our normal for our family, a lot of people would interpret it as chaos a lot of the time. <laughs> um, so it was just an elevated level of chaos throughout this, uh, the duration of this journey. Um, obviously that chaos continues, but it was definitely different um, navigating that uh, as dad got sick. Yeah. I think the big thing about when you got admitted is, for me at least, when I moved up here, essentially, right? That's when we made the decision about the needs around you being in the hospital and not being by yourself and me being able to help here at the house with some of the stuff that mom wasn't able to attend to and all of that. So I think that's what stands out to me, that part, that part of the story. Yeah, I think for me, um your very first hospital stay, I had COVID. Um, so I was not able to be there, um, which I think was really terrifying to me because I couldn't hear um, everything as it was happening and I felt really removed. Um, and and so obviously I didn't have COVID the rest of the hospital stays, but I think, um, you know, that was the first thing for me is like you being in the hospital overnight and me being in a place where I felt pretty helpless. And I think to build on that, um, something that kind of evolved over time and became our new normal was that we had to figure out how to um, give information to each other throughout this experience. So because I worked in the hospital, I was able to be at least somewhat present during all the times that dad was in the hospital. Um, and sometimes our parents can be a little guarding of information. Um, <laughs> um, just because obviously they're trying to protect us and protect our feelings and all of that. Um, but I had to help uh, translate information to my sisters sometimes when they were not able to be present in the hospital. So uh, that was one of the big things about us really wanting to be there was that we could help talk to each other and talk to others um, to let everybody know what was going on in the way that each each party needed to handle that. So I walked away <laughs> because the other thing I wanted to grab was you've heard in the podcast about the book, but that was 
also some of the ways of communication when people wrote in the book the other person could come back and read stuff out of the book and um yeah that kind of happened right in the right in the beginning uh sorry to jump in um that my mother-in-law um they uh my father-in-law had gone through a couple of rounds of cancer um also lymphoma coincidentally and so she mentioned that we were just going to be barrage, you know, have a barrage of information coming from all of these doctors and that it was going to be hard for us to keep track of things when everything was so seemingly high stakes day to day. And so she recommended that we keep this journal. And I think it was a great idea. And I will say that uh, we had varying levels of detail depending on who had the notebook, um, which is also something that we laughed a lot about. You know, um, Jessica, being the oldest, had the most detail and made sure that everything was a certain way. And me being the youngest had the least amount of detail. And uh, apart from mom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I mean, I think that that's a good explanation of some of the roles that we ended up taking on, right? And I think Tommy and I were talking before this, my husband and I, and he said it's almost like all of all of the TV shows you watch about people being in the hospital and people become caricatures because you have to take on very specific roles of this person is the guardian and this is the person who fights for things and this is the person who brings the snack. I will say that is maybe my role. Um, and all the other junk. I'm kind of surprised mom didn't bring that up uh, about the night she had to move all the crap I had brought to the hospital. But I think... Um, um, I think understanding that like the roles that we had as a family before like they had to change in a way that like Tommy said our family always like he's like his I'm trying to think of the right words here our family has a more laissez-faire approach to the roles that we play some events one person will be in lead and be organizing and doing that but when you're in the hospital, it's much harder to change um, over who has, who needs to be taking what roles because there needs to be consistency because so much of what you're going through is so inconsistent. Um, so I, I think that was a big part for me. And Dad, I think this leads into, you know, what you kind of wanted to talk about next because I think one of the, the parts about roles was your level of comfortability um, with each of us playing different roles um and caring for you and i think that you know um that was one thing that was really hard um for us was you know you are a dad of three daughters and you had certain things that you did not want your daughters to see or be a part of um and i think that was hard for us because we wanted we wanted to be able to support you. We wanted to give mom a break, um, but you definitely um, only wanted mom in a lot of scenarios. Well, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Jessica, go ahead. 
No, there was just a, there was an overnight situation, you know. Uh, so it, it's been mentioned on the podcast before that you know dad wanted somebody there for a couple of reasons one of which being that the bed alarm was super annoying and so if he needed to get up and go to the restroom somebody had to go do that with him um and so there was a night that maggie stayed overnight um i i guess i'll mention uh this is a little bit of a sidestep but i was pregnant throughout this entire journey um i was newly pregnant when dad first got admitted uh, so I was um, not permitted uh, <laughs> to stay overnight because they felt that I needed to rest and, and get away from it in the um, evening hours. So one night Maggie was staying to try to give mom a break and um, she had taken dad to the bathroom and there was an issue with keeping the levels of wow. instruments <laughs> where they needed to be um and so it we walked in that morning and maggie was having a hard time because she was feeling responsible for something health related which she was not responsible for um but that was that was a very precarious thing that we were navigating is how do we support, like Maggie said, how do we support mom? How do we support dad? How do we get dad to be comfortable with us doing something that he would 100% prefer we never would be a part of? Yeah. And you can, we'll leave that to yeah. your imagination. Yeah, I, I would say you wouldn't, you wouldn't allow us in the bathroom. You shut the door, you let us walk you to the bathroom, and then you shut the door promptly. Um, as soon as you went about whatever business you had. <laughs> Which is as it should be. <laughs> um, well, uh, so the next thing on, on my bulletin is, is doctors and staff and how, um, how, what that was like. And, and again, um, I think I, if I, I want to say this, if I haven't said it previously in you know there were issues there's always going to be issues of some kind or another but overall i mean um i'm here today we got great i got great care um there were some issues from time to time but i i guess i want to say you know somebody somebody did say they listened to the podcast and thought it was all horrible and george ann kind of corrected this and said no that's just kind of how things happen in the hospital it takes a long time to figure out things and and some things are different. And so I, I probably need to say that on my behalf um, for some another patient who might be listening to this podcast. But what are you what experiences did you guys have with staff and doctors and families, visitors, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, again, we all had some degree of healthcare knowledge, um, but that was wide ranging. Um, and so I think with that comes both uh, positives and negatives, as all situations seem to have. And uh, so one of the things that we were really frustrated about was uh, there was a lot of avoiding answers, not getting, you know, they'd say, oh, we'll definitely come by this afternoon and have an answer for you on this, and it wouldn't happen. Um, and I don't think that was for any fault necessarily of anyone in the healthcare system that just is how things go <laughs> you know they can't 
make something happen that isn't that the results aren't available for. Um, so we encountered some really amazing uh, healthcare workers that we felt like truly listened to us and cared about dad. Um, and they, you know, even if they came to the room and said, I know we told you we'd have an answer on this and we still don't, but they could still make us feel heard and valued. Um, and there were other people that came into the room that, um, you know, there was one uh, <laughs> oncology fellow uh, that I was ready to kick across the room, I will say, um, just because if there was a level of arrogance there. I don't have very much oncology uh, experience, but at this point we had pretty much become experts on dad. Um, so we knew his case, we knew his levels, we knew what they were looking for. And this is just how it goes. It's new people looking at his stuff and it often, you know, it's the less experienced people that are looking at it first until it gets handed up to the more senior staff. And so we had this fellow, um, you know, that was just very sure of himself and i said well can we at least run this and this based on the concern that dad could have this syndrome that we were worried about that 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 death was a possibility of this syndrome and that was one of the reasons he got transferred and he you know just kept telling us like we're the professionals we'll handle it um and then i had heard him outside the room and you know one of the um, the staff physician was like, well, what was she talking about when she asked, you know, uh, as far as the atypical thing? And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, apparently he has something weird. I, I didn't really understand it when they were trying to tell us about it. And I was just so angry at that point. And I think that's, again, I don't think that's because we were receiving poor care from the facility. Um, but that is just what happens when you get changed over to something new and that was so much of our experience was getting handed off to a new service getting handed off because there was a new problem that day and that service not understanding what the rest of the picture was and so there was so much navigating for us how to help these newcomers understand, um, which often resulted in a little bit of pushing on our behalf, so. Yeah, and I would just build off of that. So so my background is that I, I have a master's of public health and have um, been involved in a lot of different um, healthcare advocacy for patient type work. Um, and so it was particularly frustrating for me that we had a level of privilege in the room that was incredibly knowledgeable, right? Like we had, I think, three master's degrees, four bachelor's degrees, like, you know, like an insane amount of education. All of us had healthcare experience. And um, we still... Sam's one. (laughs) (laughs) And and we, we, um, you know, we could, you know, look at all of the things and advocate and we were doing so much and still having so much trouble and all I could think about is people that don't have that amount of resource um, and what their experiences must be like when they don't have that level of knowledge, experience, education, privilege, money, whatever it may be. Um, And that was extremely hard for me with a lot of 
the advocacy that we were having to do of like, you know, unless we were asking questions, unless we were following up on things that we had noticed that had changed in his blood work or whatever, um, then those things wouldn't just happen to come up in rounds. You know, you're waiting all day long for these doctors to round. And then they show up and they say a little tiny bit of information um, unless you ask more. And I, I, I think that's also, you know, I'm not going to get into <laughs> my public health feelings about the healthcare. I, I don't think that's the fault <laughs> of the doctors. I think that is the fault of our system. Um, but I, I think that was the hardest thing for me. So, so I'm going to add to that. I, I, Jessica alluded to something and then Maggie did too that, that I think is very interesting, which is um, the, uh, the fact that the doctors would come in and tell, have a conversation with us. But before and after, they would like gather in the hallway and the, and the girls got to where they would just go out there and stand by them both before and after they came in the room because they weren't forthcoming with a lot of information in the room. Um, and some of them, you know, I think I mentioned this before, one of the doctors liked to come in and he'd go, oh, look at him, he looks good today. And then he'd come in the next day and go, oh, he looks bad. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of, you know, I mean, it was kind of strange. But um, let's, let's if we can, if, if, oh, Abby, go ahead. I just wanted to say, I, I have a very different experience with healthcare. And so I work with physicians and techs and all sorts of people in their day-to-day. So I hear them talking about cases and cases and cases and cases. And for me, what I really wanted to make sure we were doing was making them understand that we aren't just a case, that we are a family and that we were a patient. So I did that by by doing things like snacks, snacks and <laughs> feeding the nurses who were really the ones getting right. a lot of the care and making sure that, that we were talking to them as humans and engaging them that way too. So great. Um, so let's, well, I'm gonna throw these together, family, I put and grandkids. Um, obviously, the other the other piece of that is Jessica talked about the fact that she was pregnant during the experience. But also, you both Jessica and Maggie both had one year olds at the time, um, and so they were spending a lot of time with me and and less time with their family than necessary. But I mean, how we, and then visitors. I mean, can we kind of talk about family and visitors for a minute and and wider family, grandparents, whatever. Yeah, so I mean, I think it was um, it was definitely um, a change, right? Because you go from wanting to spend all of your time and needing to spend all your time with, you know, these new babies that you have in your life, and then, like, this fear of not wanting to be away, at least for me, it was a fear of not wanting to be away from dad ever um, because I was so terrified that something would go terribly wrong in time that I was that I was gone and so lucky for luckily for me um I have an amazing support system I have an amazing husband that stepped up unlike I could ever have imagined um he was making breakfast for everybody every day he was making lunches he was doing meal prep and he was able to do that because he had the support of my amazing um in-laws I have two sets of very very amazing in-laws that were able to support us through that time and so that for me was one thing I just want to note that was another I think big privilege is is that I was able to spend as much time as I was with you dad um uh because of that support system that I had at home 
Yeah, that was that was a huge shift. I mean, just to echo what Maggie said, um, going from like my one-year-old is the center of our universe and where all of our time goes apart from work to, okay, now I work at dad's bedside, which I will mention was amazing that all of our um, employers allowed us to work at his bedside as much as possible um, because if we hadn't been able to do that, I don't know where we would have been, but that is what kept us um, sane for a lot of it is that we could be there with dad during the working hours and then give our spouses some reprieve in the evening um, because they were shouldering so much of that extra burden. Um, I think also when you're talking about grandparents, um, you know, obviously dad's parents wanted to be there, other family wanted to be there to help support, um, but it was really hard to balance who was in that room. For one, because things were changing so rapidly um, and so it would be in the morning, we'd be like, okay, this is an all right day for grandma and grandpa to come see dad. And then he would tank. And we knew that that wouldn't be a beneficial experience for them to come that day, um, that that would just be too emotional and too heavy um, to see him in that state. So we were kind of navigating that and communicating with them. And I, I can't imagine how hard that was, you know, as a new parent, having your child in the hospital and I know they felt like they wanted to be there more than they were but that was because we were managing their feelings and expectations um, and so I think that was a lot of visitors in general is that we're like in this constant upheaval of emotions and and we're then anytime somebody steps into the room also having to worry about how that is for dad and how that is for the person that comes into the room and what doctor's going to come in while it's just Kevin and dad in the room and trying to talk about, you know, what's going on. And then we're not going to hear that information. And obviously, you know, when people like Kevin came, it was amazing because we would see dad smile, which we didn't get to see very much of. Um, but it was just like another ball that then had to be juggled. <laughs> I think one of the, and mom talked a little bit about this on, on, on her episode, but the community of friends that, that, and, you know, support that we had around us was really kind of amazing. And because I was here at the house, I ended up doing a little bit of house management and really Izzy schedule management, I feel like. Izzy's our dog. The dog, dog, (laughs) yes. Um, Because Izzy had a celebrity dog walking group, essentially, (laughs) that big shout out to some of um, dad's dad and um and our, our podcast uh producer here even <laughs> came and took a couple of shifts but also gary i think took was, a lot of was them. a lot of, of a frequent walker but <laughs> i think it, it was for me being able to see that it wasn't just visitors to the hospital it was visitors to the home and to the family um and like sometimes we, it would be like, oh, wait, I just don't want anybody else to text us. I, we can't, I can't deal with another meal. I don't know what, I, like, what we want, but I think that was huge. Um, and so I think that was big. I think part of the reason I relocated up here so much was that I wanted to make sure that I was facilitating some of the connection my sisters needed to have with their family. 
um, because I couldn't hardly pray them away when the doctors might be rounding. I knew that after rounding hours were over, I could come in, kick them out. They could go home and be with their little ones and have dinner and at least have a couple of hours of rest. So I think that was really important. My husband obviously was hugely accommodating and he was dealing with his own uh, father uh, having cancer at the same time. So um, it, it was a really tough time around the block, but I think generally for me, it was very different than Jessica and Maggie's experience because I wasn't bedside all the time because it was just too overwhelming for me. I had to create some distance between that conversation with the doctors because like Maggie said, like there's so much. And if you hear one thing, it can send you down this whole path of like what is going to happen. And so I, I took some of that distance a little bit willingly because I needed more of that. And you brought up food, and I just wanted to say, um, you know, the, 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 the meal train thing got brought up, and all of us are very um, independent <laughs> people and like to take care of ourselves and not to burden others. And so that was a change that we had to kind of um, graciously accept um, the help of the meal train, which was honestly phenomenal because... We didn't have time to come home and make food in the evenings, but to ask, you know, people to go out of their way to bring us food felt like a lot to put on someone else. Um, but I can't remember who, if it was Amy or somebody finally made the final push for us to do it. And it was immensely helpful. And we're so grateful for all those people that brought us meals, but it did take a certain level of pride swallowing, <laughs> I suppose, um, that we did need that extra help. Well, and giving up control too, right? Of just like, oh, well, that's what we'll have for dinner tonight instead of picking, right? Like sometimes that felt hard. It was so, so important. And like, I don't know that we could have survived. I think I had a like argument with an Instacart driver at 11 o'clock after I got back one night because they just... <laughs> You know, we, we didn't have time to go to the grocery store, um, so. So any, are there any stories that, um, I mean, I've shared a couple of stories. In fact, I'm wearing, and, and somebody needs to take a picture, but I'm wearing the shirt, and what's the caption say? Who put hand sanitizer in my underwear? Which, now that we're here, it was Abby. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't the hand sanitizer. The underwear were, listen to these guys. Abby placed the Abby underwear placed the underwear under the hand I did not, the hand sanitizer, as a reminder, automatic. was an automatic <laughs> dispenser. And the bathroom was two centimeters big, and his underwear were in the sink, and I needed to wash my hands. And so she wasn't there when we talked about that. So the next day, it was me, Mom and Jess that were there and he said that to us and that's why we all thought he was a little bit out out of it that day but then Abby told us it didn't really happen and so that's how we knew that actually was real and my brother had the shirts made because he thought it was hilarious um any yeah I was gonna say this is not as light of a story but I think one of the hardest things for me was that um work was always so incredibly important to dad um and it was always something that he prioritized and so as he got 
very sick. Like we mentioned, his mental state was not great. He was not all there. Um, and so I remember we started slowly shifting towards monitoring his phone usage a little bit. Taking my phone away from me. <laughs> um, or looking over your shoulder as you were on your phone. And I remember how heavy it felt to me the day that I noticed that you had sent a work email that didn't really make sense. Um, and what I ended up doing was just taking your phone and correcting the situation as best as I could. Um, but like, dad is sharp as a tack. So to see him do something that could interfere with his professional life just because he was so sick was just mind blowing to me. Um, and obviously if we try to take dad's phone right now and monitor what he was doing, he would, you know, be like, get out of here. Um, but he, you know, just wasn't there enough to be able to say that. So yeah. on a slightly lighter note, I did mention I brought a lot of stuff to the hospital. And the thing is, I'm a nester, but the nurses thought it was amazing because we did things like I projected movies at night on the the blinds in his room and we got to watch shows and everybody watched, every nurse in the, the ward walked by and was like, oh my gosh, you guys are projecting shows on the, on the blinds? What's happening? Um, and that was at Methodist, and I think that was one of the places that in my really stands out the this care you got on that that floor. Well, well, I mean, in all honesty, in IU, I never was on a cancer floor. I was on a, a some kind of general floor, and then I got moved to the progressive care. But um, but I wasn't on a cancer floor, and we had a lot of traveling nurses, and it it was just a different situation than we had had at Methodist. Um, so, obviously, we, we go through a lot of trauma, but the good news is I, we get to, I get to come home. And, um, you know, I've got, I've got we, you guys helped arrange um, a referral to a new doctor because the other doctor said I was too complicated and he thought I needed somebody. And he knew we weren't particularly thrilled with him anyway. But how was all that for you guys? And, and, and again, you know, not only the process, but once we got to the new doctor how, and, and being at home, um, as I've said before, the great thing about being at home is I got to see Avery and, and Maeve, who are my two, at that time, one-year-old granddaughters um, that I hadn't seen in two or three months. So. Yeah, I mean, I think when dad came home from the hospital, I didn't spend a lot of time up here. Um, I hadn't been home for a couple of months and so I I kind of backed out and um, became a lot less involved at that point um, which I mean it's just the nature of not being in as immediate of geographic location and right. having my life in another city um, but yeah I think Jessica and, and Maggie obviously have been a lot more involved because of your lives are so much more entwined with the, the kids and and living here so yeah I think one thing obviously it was amazing to um, see dad 
leave the hospital um, and then he had a homecoming here when he got here and to get to have the girls be around him was amazing. One of the challenges I will say is then there wasn't a professional person here to tell dad things <laughs> that he had to do. Um, so that was like another shift in our new normal. Um, and I think unfortunately relied m- mom was the, the big bad guy in that situation um, and trying to get dad as healthy as he could be in ways that were not comfortable to him. Um, So in some ways it was a little bit more challenging when you got home, um, I think especially for mom. Um, But as you've mentioned before on your podcast, obviously it was super healing as well for you to not not be in that environment and to get some normalcy um, back to your life. I mean, I I got stronger gained weight, lots of things really, even a lot faster than I thought I would. Yeah, and I think part of that is like, I mean, you, because like when you were in the hospital, you were so sick and you couldn't do anything yourself. When you had any, when you started getting close to having your independence back, it was like, you went so far to, I'm completely independent. I don't want anyone to touch me. I don't want anyone to do anything to me. Why would you ask me if I need your help? And I think that was hard for us because that was what we had been doing. And so, like, to make this, like, immediate switch, it, it felt immediate. I know it wasn't immediate, but it felt very immediate to jump from being constant caregivers to then you not wanting any help. Um, the one other thing I guess I just want to touch on is to Jessica and Maggie also went the first appointment to, to my new oncologist and um, any comments on that versus our previous experience? It was it was a 180. I mean <laughs> she was on I mean just like absolutely blown away. Especially in terms of oncology. I mean, we, we Jessica talked about it a little bit before, but the oncology in the hospital was probably not the top of our list. And so to have an oncologist that approached it the way that she did, um, to have so much excitement, um, to answer the questions in a way that felt like, felt good, um, and, and to understand the immediacy that we felt in getting your treatment like really going, was was just was just phenomenal and and I I couldn't have wished for a better oncologist for you. Yeah, it was a completely different experience. We essentially went from being told like he's too sick to talk about his cancer to finally we are stepping forward in this with energy and uh, validation and um, a, a, a cheerleader and a coach, you know, that's going to get us through this and. To, to be there when you got to ring the bell at the end of your um, treatment was amazing because we, you know, yeah. a couple months before that, didn't think that you were going to get yeah. there. Um, and so for them to walk down and be with us when you rang that bell for your doctor to be there, um, your oncologist to be there, your primary nurse, you know, in the clinic to be there, that was amazing that they cared enough about you and valued that time to be there with us in that moment. Um, And I mean, just leading forward a little bit, I I think that the whole experience in general um, has left me uh, 
you know, twofold. On one hand, I am, um, I have this sense about me that I'm a little bit waiting for the shoe to drop um, because we know how poor your prognosis was. Um, and so that's, that's kind of an unexpected heaviness that I didn't think we would continue to carry after you got home. But on the flip side, I think that it makes me immensely grateful for all the little stuff that we now get to do, you know, when we got to go back and be on the boat as a family um, and just um, appreciating more um, and wanting to live each day, wanting to live each moment, um, you know, with you and doing what mattered most, which to us is being with our family a lot of the time. So, so I, I do have to say one thing about the doctor real quick. Last week, um, I'm in the, uh, I'm gonna talk, the next episode where you're gonna hear, we're gonna talk about an exercise program that I was involved in and technically graduated from, but I have a friend who just started and he stipulated that if he want, was gonna do it, he wanted me to come and work out. So I'm working out at the same time. He's technically the patient, but we ran into my doctor in the uh, parking garage and she came right up to me with a big smile on her face and hugged me and we chatted for just a second she walked away and Craig, Craig said who's that and I said that's my oncologist he goes my doctor doesn't hug me <laughs> <laughs> that might be a Craig thing <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's very unusual for your doctor to hug you every time you see her but yeah she has a great energy about her I remember actually thinking Hey, she kind of reminds me of myself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, she's just got she's got a lot of a lot of good energy there behind her. So the last question I'm going to ask, and then I'll let you guys do whatever you want. Jess already started doing some of this, but um, post treatment, we've rung the bell. Um, what are your thoughts about where I am today, and what? It, were, were there any lessons learned? I mean, anything that that you glean from this experience that you um, that you want to share? Uh, they don't. They don't uh, have much. I, mean, <laughs> I feel like I said my yeah, question I feel already. Like you probably did. I think for me, it's my brain just doesn't work necessarily in segments it's kind of always continuously running, right? Um, so as we moved through it, it, it kind of changed some of the things that, for me, it's like communication. And I know that I struggle with it, but like understanding that being heard and understood is really important to me with my family. And it's something that I spend time every other week with a coach to get better at communicating so that I can at the next crisis and you know maybe that is someone wins the lottery and it's a good crisis um, I can have better baseline skills um, and and for me I think that's that's a lot of it is I felt like I just went into hibernation in some ways that it was too hard for my brain and so I wasn't as proactive or active um, and so trying to just build those skills um, for me so that I can be more present with my family is huge. 
Yeah, I, um, I think, you know, I'm still in my reflection. You know, I think that um, if you ask me in a year, it might be a different response than what I have right now because, like I said, I think from the time you were really sick, and I've talked to my therapist about this, but, you know, you were really sick and then you weren't. And it all happened very quickly and it almost feels like there was like, you know, like something in between that I haven't quite figured out. Um, and so I think I'm still figuring that out. But I do think, you know, like like my sisters have said, I think the biggest lesson for me is like how grateful I am to have my family and how, you know, I, we said all the time it was like you are waking up in a nightmare while this was happening because you never think it's going to happen to you. Um, and then it does. Um, and then you're dad makes the most miraculous um recovery and your life goes back to normal but it's not it's a new normal hey well thank you go ahead just no go ahead i was just gonna say this has come up a couple times and i think one of the biggest things that we all lean on is that um mental health is crazily important (laughs) in any kind of journey like this Um, And all three of us girls all see a therapist on a regular basis because we understand that even if you aren't in a crisis, um, being able to sort through what's going on in your head is going to make outward uh, progress. Um, And one of the things I'm so, so impressed and grateful for is that dad is processing through this avenue um, and also seeing what we call his not therapist. um, Coach, my coach. (laughs) coach. Um, And so just whether you have a, uh, you know, a great family support and friend support system like we did, or maybe you're going through something like this and you don't have those, is reaching out to those, you know, professionals that can help you get through these situations, whether they have good outcomes or not. Yeah, I think that's huge. And and so that's that actually just you started my wrap up for for our conversation today. My wrap up is that exactly what the girls that all three of them kind of just said, which is, you know, this is the the reason we're doing this podcast is not for us, although it is therapeutic, I think for us as well. But it's really for somebody else that might be going through something similar. And if we can help them in, in any small way. And so Maggie knows this, but the other two of you don't. Um, I have had now three instances in the last 10 days where people have either said, thank you for what you're doing. One instance, I got a um, direct message on Facebook from a acquaintance Um, Somebody I don't know, never had a one-on-one conversation with really, um, but I've known them peripherally for years, um, that said, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer on January, whatever, and has had surgery and we're going through treatment, we're dealing with all this and, and how helpful just listening to our story was. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do today. Um, I can't begin to say again, though, that what with the thing that keeps coming up as I listen to you guys talk is if you don't have someone to be your advocate, you better be your own advocate because in these situations you need an advocate. Mental health is huge. 
physical, spiritual stuff we've talked a little bit about, but it's all really important. And so with that, I'm going to wrap things up today and say thanks for listening to us again. Um, Hope you'll stay tuned for uh, the next episode, which will be about um, the physical side of things. And uh, then we'll talk the episode following. We're going to talk to my not-a-therapist coach, um, Dr. Renbarger, who's going to join us um, in in, uh, the two months. So anyway, thanks. Thank you.